Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Industrial S-Word, where we try to stop making safety such a bad word. I'm your host, Matthew Ernst. Today, I'm joined by Frank Tomei, a professional engineer of Ontario. In the early years, he was involved with heavy industrial fabricating, structural steel, manufacturing spiral welded pipe, the manufacturing of welded wire mesh, the production of gravity concrete pipe, and related products. He also worked in the letter processing and parcel processing. Later in life, he worked for a safety organization, providing training to industry, and in particular specialized in the safeguarding of machinery and pre-start health and safety reviews. He has also traveled the province of Ontario, putting on seminars. The focus was educating industry workers and engineers on a new provision from October 7, 2001, named Regulation 851 Industrial Establishments. If any of you have tried to read this regulation, you will understand why there has been and continues to be a huge need to better comprehend this regulation. Frank has been practicing as a professional engineer on safety-related projects since he joined the IAPA, which is now the WSPS, in the year 2000. He also splits his time teaching various courses related to millwrights at Humber College. These courses focus on the use of hand tools, lathes, vertical mills, hydraulics, and of course, safety. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 3. This is the Industrial S-Word. We're back at it with another look at functional safety and machine safety. And I'm happy to be joined today by Frank Tomei. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Now, you and I have had uh, a long history, actually. Um, I can almost attribute myself getting into safety because of a seminar uh, you, you once spoke at for a company that I worked for a, a long time ago. Um, and you, you so eloquently talked, uh, you know, in, in, in Ontario, we have PHR, pre, pre-start health and safety. And you talked about section seven of the regulation 851. And you went through that regulation line by line. And the reason that made such an impact on me was because we in this province have so much misunderstanding of how that applies to the workplace. And there's so much confusion, which when you read it line by line, there's no confusion at all. It was a really, it was a really impactful moment for me because it simplified safety for me. And I think that's really important that people understand that safety seems complicated until you start digesting it piece by piece. And it starts to make a whole lot more sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and this is the reason why I just simply, I don't develop any big PowerPoint or anything like that to, if you like, impress people with my PowerPoints, animation, whatever else. Why not go to the horse's mouth? Hmm. This is what the Ministry of Labor says. People are not interested on in what I say, because otherwise you're hearing everybody's different interpretation of things. Let's look at the statements made by the ministry. Yeah. All right. And let's... Let's analyze them. We can have differences of opinion at that point, but let's look at the same statement, not the perception of the same statement. Right. 
Because remember, when 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 participants are looking at somebody up on a, a stage or something like that, they feel that this person is the expert and knows exactly what he's talking about. Yeah. Well, that may that may not be true. You know, you'd like to think so, but uh, look, we've all seen uh, things to the contrary. <laughs> you know, and, and humans are humans. We all learn as we go along, and that and that's fine. You know. So my argument is simply: let's go right to the legislation. Uh, I just had recently a, uh, a PowerPoint presentation on the pre-start review sent to me for review by um, a very major company, huge company, in fact, and it was fundamentally wrong. Yeah. It, it, it you know, and this is why sometimes you might recall in the seminars I will say to people if somebody says something to you, ask them, show me where it says that. Yes. Yeah, I remember that. You no. Know? Uh, just last year, I was at a uh, one of these uh, St. John ambulance or two years ago, you know, taking the, the training there. And the instructor said, you have to do this within whatever period. And I did exactly that. I said, can you show me where it says that? And they were looking and, oh, wait a minute, maybe it's here. Then eventually that's, well, maybe it doesn't say that. Yeah, but you're making a broad statement. Yeah. You know, if you're not sure about it, because you're misleading people, eh? Yeah. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that what what you're saying is not correct or might not be a desirable thing to do, but there's a difference between what is a desirable thing to do and what the legislative requirements are. That's right. That's right. Right. And, and again, you know, talking about uh, Canada and comparing to North uh, U.S. and comparing to, to Europe, again, you have to read what it says, right? You don't interpret what it says, yeah. just read what it says. And then yeah. and then there's guidelines on top of that, right? There's, there's sure. best practices on top of that. You know, it says do this and then industry, the best practice is this. As long as the best practice doesn't contradict what the, the legislation is or, or what the mandate right. is, because that the mandate in the legislation is always going to be the minimum. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. Legislation is by definition minimum. <laughs> so so you will hear people say, you know, it's particularly commercial. You know, it meets the highest standard. Well, it meets the standard. Yes. What do you mean the highest standard? I, I'm guilty of that myself because I know well, I know that like when, when I'm selling my components and uh, and some of them are, um, you know, th those components are category four PLE as per ISO 13849. And I say that as a, as a feature and a benefit. But if the person I'm talking to doesn't know what that means, then I tell them or I, I make the additional statement of it's the highest safety level yeah, uh, that is different than saying that it is the highest standard okay what you're saying it is high the high safety level within a standard correct okay that's fair tomorrow we could change the standard and have <laughs> different categories yes that are a higher level than the previous ones <laughs> so what you're saying is absolutely correct it's a higher level Highest level defined today within that the existing standard. So I'll have to make sure I change my pitch a little bit. So I, I add that little footnote, that asterisk. You know, at the end of every commercial, there's always the side effects and after effects. So I'll just have to mumble at the end of my breath as as per the the, yeah. the standard today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I caught one on TV the other day. One was one of these uh, automotive dealerships. You know, and uh, uh, you know they think they we have certified mechanic. Certified by who? <laughs> by them. <laughs> by yeah, you know. So, so you know, and we 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 you know we joked about this, and we've seen the signs. You know, get your forklift driver's license. 
right? Yeah. And, you know, and, and unfortunately, this, uh, I'm not saying the praise, <clears throat> a praise on the immigrants, but it does, because now you believe that a, license, a, driver's, a, a driver, a forklift driver's license exists, and you're going to get one, you can get a job driving a forklift. Yeah. The reality is there is none. And at the end of the session, what you get is a little card that says you attended the session. Yep. You know, the, the license is issued by who? I can I can issue a license for, un, under my own name. It's not <laughs> worth anything, but you're welcome to it. However, some training is better than no training, you know? Yes, yes. Well, you know, you guys hear it first. If you guys want forklift training, go to the Frank Tomei School of Excellence for forklift. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. And, and, you know, when we do the training, for example, you, you train according to standard. So are you training to the standard or are you training the person how to operate the forklift mm -hmm. with the standard in the background? You know, there's two, there are two different things. Yeah. You know, you can, I can be very good in, you know, relatively good, let's say, in knowing the standard. Okay. But don't put me on a forklift. <laughs> You know, that, that's kind of an interesting point. Again, so going back to functional safety, right? There's those of us that uh, can read the standard, that have um, understood the standard, but how it applies to making a machine is a little bit different. Understanding how to apply that standard is very, very different. And I think that's where, I mean, myself, uh, I'm a TV functional safety engineer, and I, I recall that test. Um, it was not about being able to read the standard. I remember that when I was writing the test, it felt like the questions were basically, can you teach the standard? Can you teach how to apply that standard to machinery? So that was very, very difficult. Yourself, you have a wealth of knowledge and you constantly are consulting and educating with companies on how to apply standards, not necessarily how to read them, but how to apply those standards to the machinery they're working on. Yeah, and it is, in fact, in the practical applications whereby you really look at the clause in the standard in a different light, because now you say, well, now I know what that they're talking about. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I found myself uh, um, kind of comfortable with regulations is for whatever, 30, 40 years, I was violating all the regulations at the time, but I didn't know any better. So when I read them, Oh, I remember doing that. Yes. I remember doing that. I'm lucky I survived it. Yes. But I could I could identify with the physicality of the situation, you know? And, 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 and you know, you're absolutely right in having the the uh the um one and then the application of it. Even from a um uh, an educational level, you have the bachelors of science and you have the bachelors of applied science. Mm -hmm. Right? The applied one applies the, the the purest one right yes yeah so which we we generally call engineering eh? yeah and it's you know you you've you've keyed on a point that's very interesting and uh, i'm fortunate as well in, in my relatively younger life that i've seen some bad safety practices in my work life of industry and i was fortunate to get out of them without any injury. I still have all my fingers and toes. I still have as good as hearing as I should have and everything else. But it's 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 those kind of situations that you can reflect on due to a testimony. And and I'm 
I'm the youngest kid of my family. I was I was a little bit stubborn sometimes. I I you kind of had to beat me over the head and I had to learn through experience. So fortunately, I never had to learn through through those kind of experiences. But I mean, you talked about how you've done you've did things so bad and now you have that education and you think about it and go, "Oh boy, I really shouldn't have done that." That is that is gold in my mind because if those kind of stories can resonate with someone else in the industry, that hopefully is a person that never has to live through that hazard. Is there is there any stories that comes to mind sometimes? <laughs> I know you might have to reach really far back there, Frank, but is there some yeah. stories that you go, man, you know, I remember seeing this kind of machine and this kind of application and knowing what I know now, boy, we shouldn't have done that and we should have done this. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, there's a cultural aspect of it. So at one time it was, you can't take it, right? So the first summer job I had, they had a, a, a this concrete slab. I would say it was probably about 15 by 20 feet. I was uh, probably 17 years old. And uh, I go, so that's a good job to give to some student, right? So I go there and whether they give me this jackhammer, I've got the hard hat on, everything, I'm feeling like a real worker now, eh? <laughs> so I grab this jackhammer and I'm pounding away all day. Now I noticed throughout the day, everybody's looking at me and kind of smirking. And I didn't know what they were laughing at. Uh, my father happened to be a supervisor at the place. In fact, he got me the job. So I thought they were kind of saying, well, that's that's Alfredo's son, you know, they're smirking. Okay, fine. I didn't get it. Well. I, I got it the next day because when I went to get up out of bed, I couldn't move my arms. Right? So, but they just stood there watching me. Yeah. None of them who are supposed to be mature adults came over and said, son, you better take a break from this thing here. You know, you're going to be in bad trouble tomorrow. <laughs> no, the hell with them, right? It'll, it'll teach them. Yeah. Now, I understood at that point uh, what uh, uh, what uh, machinery vibration uh, does to the arms? Yeah, and the fact that I was reading a uh, a uh, um, one of the uh, catalogs from um, Atlas Copco, and at that time I thought they couldn't spell economics. It was the first time I saw the word ergonomics, and I'm thinking like, what's this got to do with these tools here? You know, these were all the air operated tools. Yeah, what's it got to do with it? That was how how far away. I was from it, but the Swedes, of course, have been into the safety game as part of the culture within the society long before we could even spell the word for heaven's sake. You know, the Volvo cars are famous for the, the seatbelts. Airbag, for example, they had them long before uh, we we were even talking about it. Oh, I you didn't. Know? I so, didn't know Volvo was seat uh, airbags. I always thought Volvo was uh, the seatbelts. Uh, well, uh, if I, as I recall, the seatbelts became before the airbags. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. And when you look at the story of the seatbelts here, you, uh, so the thing goes out, the Ralph Nader writes a book, Unsafe at Any Speed. And that was basically, if I recall, about the, the, aimed at the Corvair that was at the time. So then this thing starts to come out about the seatbelts. Well, okay, the government first, you start out, it's a good idea to put them in. Of course, manufacturers are not putting them in in general. Some of them start to, it might be a, an extra or something like this. Then it got so hard in terms of the, it becomes a political football and the government legislates the seatbelts to put on. Okay, because the big bad manufacturers won't put them on. 
then the government has to legislate the people to wear them. The same people that are complaining about the unsafe cars, they got to legislate them to wear them. Yeah. And in fact, it wasn't the legislation that really prompted, I think it was, uh, and I think I'm typical, it was our children. And I remember being in the car, my daughter's in the back, we tell her, thing on, put your seatbelt on, but we'll make sure she got it on. And then here I am at the front and I hear, <clears throat> <laughs> <clears throat> right? What are you going to say to a three, four year old, you know, that's uh, kind of giving you the hint, put on your seatbelt, you know? So you grab the seatbelt, yeah, I'll put it on, you know, and you. <laughs> You shrug it on, um, but it, it but it wasn't it wasn't the idea that you say the accident is going to happen to me. It's going to happen to somebody else. Right, the person I care about, and that I, yeah. I mean a lot of the times that's the story I like to tell when I'm consulting with companies on uh, when they're dragging their feet or or not wanting to do the upgrade. I I try and 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 play that card or or put that person in the situation of would you let your kid work on this machinery yeah. you know if if you're not if you're not comfortable with your kid working on this machinery why should you be comfortable with someone else's child to work on this machinery yeah yeah and that's ultimately uh, you know and i brought it up in uh, sometimes at the ending of the sessions and so on because it's always a question at the end of a session how far do you go yes you know and i'll say look you want to make a plant really safe take a bulldozer and just <laughs> tear it down to the ground and plant grass there Nobody will get hurt there, eh? Yeah. But nobody will have jobs either, you know, this type of thing. <laughs> so so perhaps the ultimate thing would be was, not if it's you, but if it's your son or daughter. Yes. That was doing this job, would you be able to sleep at night? If the answer is no for your children, then it's true for everybody else because everybody else loves their children just as much as you love yours. Yes. Maybe that's the ultimate parameter that we should be looking at. Yeah, know? that's... That's that's the because guideline that it that's the best practice that we should be going with in accordance to the legislation, right? Well, and really, that's the best practice in terms of the moral values that we have as human beings, the intrinsic value mm -hmm. that we have. You know, uh, you know, the American Constitution says, you know, we're born with inalienable rights, right to life, eh? Yeah, and. The we're saying that that person got inalienable rights there, you know, and you got to respect that, right? Be it your children or somebody else's children. Yeah, yeah. So, so it it goes the the legislation, of course, goes to a minimum. But the 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 one when you say inalienable rights, that kind of takes us to a higher moral level. You know, we start to infringe uh, or fringe on religion here, but that's appreciated, uh, you know. <laughs> It's it's definitely a, a difficult conversation, and and it's funny that you mentioned about the kids in the car because I know my kids. Uh, you know, we we do our best to try and teach them to be better than ourselves. And we, uh, my my eldest daughter is just starting to wear a, a seat belt. She's not in the, the the booster seats anymore. And there has been a few times as well where she's buckled in, and I start moving out of the driveway, and I still I hear the same sort of voice as well because she can see me. Uh, through the rearview mirror she goes you haven't because my my learned procedure is a lot of the times i'm moving and putting my seatbelt on at the same time but we teach our kids that we don't move until you put your seatbelt on so they they hold yeah. us to the same standard yeah that, that's right and uh and you know of course you get in the cars now if you don't have your seatbelt on you have to beep 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 for a long time and uh all that other business um 
Yeah, it, it, it's, but I do see um, a lot of the, if you like, younger generation. I was in the place the other day and the person just had to cut a small piece with the little hand jigsaw mm-hmm. and they stopped, they brought the jigsaw, everything else, they went back and I thought, what the hell is the guy doing? I go back, he went, he went over to get his glasses. And I thought to myself, that that's a change from my time. Yeah. You know, this is a small, it was just some two inch PVC pipe, yeah. uh, you know, sort of nothing. But he went over to get the glasses. And, and you know, and I thought, you know, it's a good thing. I wouldn't have done it, but I'm glad to see the change. <laughs> uh, there was uh, there was another factory I was at, and uh, the we were uh, I had to look inside the electrical cabinet, and the fellow that was with us, one of the maintenance guys, I noticed he said, hey, "Let me get my uh, stuff first. He went back to the maintenance shop, got his arc flash equipment, wow, opened up the panel, and then did some voltage measurement. I've never seen that. Yeah, you know, I thought, you know, the 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 the, the, the attitudes are changing. Yeah, you know, maybe. Maybe not enough or not quick enough, as typical of most things in society. But uh, this guy went back and came over and put the safety equipment on. That, so, I, that's uh, impressive. Yeah. Because, because I, I can tell you um, the amount of places I've been in and the amount of panels that have been opened up for me to just take a quick look inside to see what components are in there for me to help those customers out. Mm-hmm. I have seen... <laughs> exactly zero times where a person has gone you know they take the temperature gun they put their arc flash on they open the panel and they do some other temperature ratings before they do anything so uh you know i i <laughs> see i i know a little bit about electrical safety so when they don't do that which is always i'm usually far behind them because yeah, yeah, i yeah. don't want to be there um, yeah. there, I mean, there's many a times when I'm in factories uh, helping them out with uh, machine safety applications, and they're showing me and pointing me to to the da- the hazards that are moving because the machine's active, and I stay well away. I'm going, yep, I can see from here. I understand what your problem is, but I, I always do my best to protect myself in those situations when the facility doesn't have the proper culture. Yeah, yeah, and, and and you know, and the culture is uh, is is it's difficult, difficult. Um, you get all kinds of excuses, eh? What is there? Is there like we we talked about one scenario of you know changing the mindset instead of you know trying to protect a, a worker who's often seen as as a resource within it within a corporation. Um, we talked about the idea of of trying to pivot the story to be about how do you protect your loved ones from uh, the most dangerous hazard in those machines. I mean, that's one way to try and change the culture within a company. Is there other ways that you've seen that help influence uh, a positive safety culture in those types of companies? Well, let's let's take this scenario here. So we have domestic uh, components, our microwave. Right, so or take a car. Yep. When you go, you when you go buy a car, you don't ask does this thing come with brakes. No, no, I've never had to ask that question. Nor right? I've had to ask if it comes with the engine, but definitely not the brakes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Why is that? Because the the manufacturer is not allowed to place it on the market 
unless it is deemed to be safe, and it is deemed to be safe by having met certain standard requirements and so on, right? Mm-hmm. Now you can put it on the market. Why is it that particularly in North America on industrial equipment, the, the responsibility is that of the employer in the sense that the employer is not necessarily a machine expert. Mm-hmm. Yes, they know it'll produce, you know, 100 units an hour. It'll cost $1.37 million, okay? But are they experts in hazard identification? Wouldn't the person designing the equipment, shouldn't they have that expertise? So if we go back to a simple microwave, and we don't even know that it's there, but, uh, you know, we open the door and the microwave stops. We don't have a sign on there that says, you know, turn off the the radiation before you open the door, right? Which would cut the cost considerably because now they save the the money on the uh, interlocking switch, the mechanism, and so on, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's integrated into the equipment. So, in essence, right? Why are these hazards? Why do they even exist on the machine that the worker has to worry about? We, you know, we have the enough um, intelligence, enough technology, enough to be able to at least considerably reduce the number of hazards. Yes. Down to, if you like, uh, we'll say uh, reasonably acceptable levels, because yes. at the end of the day, we're always going to have something. So when we say we're protecting the person from the hazard, the question is, why does that hazard exist in the first place? Right. So. I had a situation where a company they had a, a small incident, which triggered a. Um, um, in any case, it was this uh, lady, and she had slightly hurt her finger. Her friend went over to her and asked her, oh, "Are you okay?" And everything else, you know, the hugging that. Well, she faints. Because she faints, you now have to call the Ministry of Labor. Mm-hmm. And so the company called me up, and I went over there, and the Ministry of Labor was already there, and I, and I just listened. There was an opening on the machine. And the the inspector said, and rightfully so, he said, somebody could put their hands in there. One of the uh, company uh, supervisors said, oh, nobody's going to do that. The inspector said, rightfully so, if, what if I put $100 in there? Yeah. You see, what if there's an incentive? Yeah. Right? We can talk about the $100. We can talk about a lot, a lot of the kinds of incentives. What if there's an incentive to gain more productivity? Yes. Well, it would be an incentive, right? Yes. In fact, in the uh, uh, one of the uh, um, German organizations, you know, as part of the pre-start review, when you put the uh, the safeguard, um, they also look at the thing of the the possi- uh, the um, the incentive to defeat the safeguard. Yep. If I'm a worker and you're going to guard this machine such that it, it, that I am really so ticked off, I'm going to take that interlock or whatever it is, and I'm going to bypass it. And that's the end of it, yeah. right? There's a big incentive there. So it, this comes into the actual design of them. They should be seamless. The microwave, you don't even know the interlock is there. No. So open the door, it goes off, and you don't even know it's there. It's plain and simple. You don't even think in the car that this car's got brakes, right? But they are there. This is really, it, it may perhaps the designer's view of uh, industrial equipment has to be more at the level of the consumer product. Because we hire a worker not, not to come and get it. We hire them to operate the machine. Yeah. Have an input, you know, look after the, pro, the after the, the, the process unit, and there will be an output. Yeah. 
we don't hire them to be to risk manage to be risk managers. No, that's not fair to them. That, that's not fair no. to anyone. No, it's not. And the reality is, look, when you've been in a, in a particular situation, a workplace, and you're working eight hours a day, and very often it's 10 and 12 hours a day, can anybody concentrate six, seven, eight, 10 hours a day, 100% of the time? No. It's hard for most of us to concentrate for 10 months consecutively. So in that one moment of that absent-mindedness, when, when perhaps... When perhaps you're thinking about your children, there might be some issues with your children. Yeah. There may be issues at home uh, financially. Yeah. Relationally. I mean, these things all uh, all burden our mind. Yeah. How are we going to concentrate 100% of the time on the workplace? Yeah. So why not simply design those hazards out? And, and as it has been shown, uh, you can design them all. Look at the, uh, you know, in the European Union, they have a different model whereby the uh, product cannot be placed on the market unless it's, it is deemed to be safe by the manufacturer. I was, I was going to bring this up, so I'm glad you're you're bringing it up first. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, and you, you can look at it, you know, generally when I go into these plans for the pre-start review, one of the first things I look for where where it's made. Okay, uh, you know, the, the conference level goes up when I see that it's made in one of the European countries. Now, that's not a guarantee. Uh, in fact, I, I, I had one, uh, one uh, particular machine, I forget, and they had the declaration of conformity and everything else and called it the standard. And I checked that standard out, and that standard had been expired for 10 years. Oh. I sent an email to the director of the company. I just addressed it to the director of the company. And within 10 minutes, he gave me a call. Hmm. This happened to be a, a Polish organization. I said, sir, you know, we're relying on the system for these machines to be safe. You know, by you calling standards that are, that are uh, outdated for 10 years, this credits the whole, the whole system. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and if you discredit the whole system, then you might as well just junk it. Yeah. You know, and, I, I, and I said to him quite truthfully, I said, and, and quite truthfully, this discredits Poland to me as a as a manufacturer, yeah, you know, as as a as a manufacturing, uh, you know, uh, society type of thing, you know, yeah. And he was very apologetic and everything else, but in a certain way, it kind of proved that the system does work. The fact that the guy called within ten minutes, yeah, kind of give me this is serious stuff here. Yeah, and they, they recognized that they 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 had an error that uh, you know he thought that. They were doing everything in accordance to how they're supposed to, according to the standards, according to the self-declaration. Um, you know, there's always checks and balances, right? No one's ever 100%. Uh, so Absolutely. again, kudos to you first for calling him out on that. And then the response uh, from, from that company was, yeah. was fantastic, right? I, I had another one. This was a uh, dental, dental machine. Um, and um, so I had written the pre-start review and I had come out to think that this area should be guarded. And um, then I was looking at the machine and I noticed that the, that the nameplate, although it was made in Switzerland, and they are part of the uh, European Union from that perspective, um, it didn't have the CE mark. Hmm. I thought, well, this is funny. So I sent the guy an email. He said, well, yes, we removed the CE mark because the customer asked for those guards to be removed. I said, well, that's kind of interesting because I've just written a report here asking guards to be put in. 
and and what I was wondering was, do you have these guards? You you know, you make them as part of the equipment. Why go again? You know, uh, he says yes. And if you put those guards uh, in, we will send you another nameplate with the CE mark on it. Huh. Now, did did the owner of the equipment uh, take that avenue, or did they go? A yeah, step- yeah, oh, yeah, 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 took it. Yeah, yeah. I told them, you know, why it's got to be guarded, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, they agreed and they followed that up and they got the pieces in, installed them, and they had the new. So, you see, the, it, 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 it does work. Yes. Um, but again, like any system that relies on, on the goodwill of people. It was, I was yeah. actually going to add, there was a couple questions throughout uh, your sharing there that, that came up in my head. Um, and you answered one of them immediately already. I, I was going to ask if you found in your experience that do you find that EU companies are building machinery specifically for North America to, you know, quote unquote, make them cheaper so that they can, you know, because the customer says to bring it, or is it more so just a company doesn't know and they're like, no, 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 get rid of that. We don't need it. No, I, I find that the, that the seems to be that the European, don't forget that all basically, we'll say the the developed world, if not more, we're part of the World Trade Organization. Yeah. As part of the WTO, you've agreed to make the international standards as your national standards. Mm. Even though the countries themselves, the the country's standards organization, will give them another number, another name, you know, and kind of rearrange the the wording a little bit, everything else. It looks like their own, whatever else, you know. Maybe they just want to sell standards. I don't know. Um, so, um, so, in, so they feel that they're and the whole that, that the whole world is like this. Yeah. And it, and, and and it's not. Now, of course, the companies are very different, eh? And this is what the the uh, the um, uh, European firms come up against. But sure, are they more expensive? Absolutely. So, somebody buys a, a piece of equipment from uh, one of the companies. And they called me into a pre-start view. So they bought it because it cost, it was $150,000 cheaper than the European one. Great. I go in, I do a pre-start review. Now it costs them $200,000 to bring it up to a level. Because they have to do all the it's, aftermarket stuff. Yeah. yeah they, they've saved absolutely nothing. Or worse than that, somebody gets hurt. Yes, that's the important part. And the Ministry of Labor comes and they shut down the machine. And they, you know, now there's the, now you're in court for whatever, you know. A year, two years, you know, never mind the fine from the Ministry of Labor, uh, which, you know, can be excessive. They've not that long ago, they raised it up to 1.5 million, although generally there's still 100, 200, 300,000. But the lawyer fees. Yes, yes. I had one company who uh, had an accident fatality. Uh, they told me that so far they hadn't, hadn't even gone to court. They spent, <clears throat> excuse me, $450,000 on the lawyer so far. And they hadn't even gone to the step court in the courtroom. I haven't even gone to court. Now, uh, this was a few years back. I'm assuming the fine for the Ministry of Labor might be $300,000, so that the legal fees are are really almost more than the... Um, so, so. But outside, of course, the, the money is the money. But, you know, at the, at the end of the day, there was a fatality there. That's that's the real... Yeah, that's the real story. That's the real tragedy it is. So the Europeans just seem to have that they maintain that that for the export market as well okay good. now if if like in this case here with the dental one if i guess a client asked for something specific then they did remove the guard but they also removed the ce mark yes so that that was the right thing to do that was the right thing to do 
the trouble is, and I don't know this, did they tell the, their customer, they said, we, yes, we will remove the guard, but we, we cannot give you a nameplate with a CE mark on it. Yeah. I don't know the nature of the conversation that went on, you know? Yeah, yeah, you weren't there, but that's, no, that's I was definitely there, interesting because I've also seen a, a bit of a shift and I really love the point that you made at the beginning of this conversation about how the culture of uh, safety in industry ha has to change and where it can be driven from is the manufacturer of the equipment. Because like you said, uh, the people in the workplace should not be expected to manage risk. They should be expected to run the machinery, to maintain the machinery, whatever it is. So if you remove this aspect of managing risk from the company, then all of a sudden the culture within the facility will improve just intrinsically. So I've started to see uh, North American companies starting to ask the equipment manufacturers and integrators to make sure that things are compliant, to do, again, something specific to Ontario, doing the PHSRs directly at the OEM side, which is a fantastic shift. Now, it's not widespread. I've seen it a few times. I've seen purchasing agents starting to demand uh, declarations that the equipment is safe to use from yeah. the equipment so, manufacturers. Absolutely. I, you know, and that's one thing that I, you know, if I'm doing a session and the machine manufacturer there, I will say that. So, because remember, if the manufacturer uh, uh, designs and builds a machine in accordance with current applicable standards, for machinery, we'll say here, Ontario CSA Z432, yep. or the ISO 12100 type of thing, okay, then you do not have to do a pre-start health and safety review. Yes. So I tell the manufacturer, if you do it in right, the first place, tell your client, you give them a letter of exemption so that they don't have to do a pre-start health and safety review. So let's take an example. Let's assume that there's a, a lathe manufacturer and they sell a thousand lathes in Ontario a year. Yep. And I get to do the pre-start review for all of these lathes. So let, let's assume $2,000 for a pre-start review times a thousand lathes, that's two million bucks in my pocket. Not bad. <laughs> it's the same report over and over. <laughs> right? Yep. Society, society has paid $2 million for these reports. At the end of the day, it's a cost to society. Yeah, it's money in my pocket, right? Whereas if that manufacturer hired me and even paid me $10,000 to get them to the level whereby they can issue exemption documentation because it meets a standard, the customers do not have to do the pre-start review. Yep. This, this is not something I'm claiming. You can read that in Section 7. And if any of your listeners ever want to give me a call on it, I'll direct them to the exact clause. They're more than welcome to do that. Yeah, it's 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 frightening that people don't realize. Uh, again, speaking to Ontario specific, uh, sorry everyone else, but in Ontario we have that pre-start health and safety review, and there's so much misinformation about it, and people don't realize there are very clear steps on what you can do with how you buy your equipment, with how you receive your equipment, to completely get rid of that. As you said, right? I mean, two million dollars for those lays, man, you should have. If you know, hope I hope that's real, but uh, you should be writing that that lathe company saying, "Dear CEO, thank you for making my business a real thing." <laughs> yeah. 
I just had a client that just bought a new machine, not a big machine type of thing. Brand new, it's still, they still have it in, uh, in, in, in use, and they called me on it. Uh, I said, yeah, it needs a pre-start pre -start review. So essentially, what are they doing when they call me to do a pre-start review on it? They're asking me, Frank, can you come over and tell us what we did wrong with this machine? Why not do the things right in the first place? Yeah. So now the interlocking switches that they do have on there are useless. There's money down the, down the drain. Yeah. The time that it took to wire those interlocking switches in, that's wasted money. Yeah. Right? Now, it, and it's just going to cost them more. Whereas if they were to call in the first place, the manufacturer, yeah, it'd have been a lot better off. Just going back on that EU thing, I, I want to point out a particular case I had probably about uh, two months ago. So I was in a company there, you got this new, uh, 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 basically it's a um, filler, filling machine. And um, the distance below the lower level of the machine to the bottom of the floor was eight, was 18 inches. And I said, oh, that's got to be minimum 150 millimeters, uh, or maximum 150 millimeters. He said, well, we've got 60 of them operating in Canada. I said, I don't care, you've got 600. That's not the issue here, okay? <laughs> That's what the standard says. That's what you look at. I know in the States, I believe it's 300 millimeters. Yeah, yeah, it's bigger. And then, and then there were a few other issues. So we got a little bit, uh, I guess, Heated? testing each other, whatever. <laughs> so I said to him, I said, tell me something. Because he said, we, they ship them in Europe. I said, okay, tell me something. This particular model, as it stands on the floor right here, could you, you ship this into the European Union? He says, no. I said, so, so you're telling me that the people, the worker in Europe are receiving better protection than what they are here by your own admission. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that, that, that it's, so this, this becomes the importance of standards, eh? Because otherwise, who says it's right? Where's that reference point? Yeah. Yeah. Now, when, when it comes to, when it comes to standards and you're talking about machine specific uh, type C standards, do you feel there needs to be more of them or do you think there's enough or um it, do you think that the c type standards are too broad where, where do you for those of you that don't know there there's the, the type c standards are a machine specific standard that tells you uh you might have to correct me here if i'm wrong frank but it tells you how to safeguard what specific applications are going to exist in that machinery such as a robotic cell such as a press uh, those those kinds of equipment. Yeah, yeah. So you know something like the CSA Z four thirty two standard safeguarding of machinery is a generic standard. You can apply that to every piece of machinery. Yeah. Part of the process there is to identify the hazards and the measures to be to be taken to protect the worker against those hazards. When from that standard you take it and apply it to a specific machine, the hazards are already identified. And the, the measures taken to protect the worker includes those hazards. So you eliminate that whole process. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I find now, uh, are there enough of them? Well, we don't have any enough of them if you like Canada, but if you go by the CSA term, but other uh, ISO ones, yeah, and EN, yeah, they're they're full of them. Of course, Europe is, a, is the world's uh, probably largest supplier of machinery. Mm -hmm. They've been dealing with this stuff for uh, decades to say the least uh and and they're all strong manufacturing uh companies you know germany probably you know look 80 million people their third large third um 
biggest manufacturer in the world. Uh, Germany, England, France, uh, Italy, you know, Switzerland, uh, they're, you know, uh, they're all, um, they all make very, very good machines. And the manufacturing is very, very strong in Europe. And they have a very much a vested interest in having the machines operate not only safely, but productively. Mm-hmm. See, in all these uh, in all these countries that we mentioned, if we really look at it, they have a, a big uh, social programs. You know, like we have here, WSIB and oh, so okay, on. Okay, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's a cost associated with accidents. Yes. Right? You know, in some, some of the countries, you know, well, okay, two people died today. Well, that you know, that's okay. We'll get some more. The, you know, the, the value on life is not not quite put in, in that, that same term. So if it's going to cost me the company, uh, the company, X number of dollars, because that's the only way you you punish a company. Yep. Yes, you could put the CEO of the company in jail, but the company is punished through its finances. Yep. If it's going to cost me where it really hurts, I'm going to try and avoid that, eh? And so they, they, so they have this, um, this also additional incentive uh, to do so. But, but having safer machines like that allows you to run them faster, quicker, set up easier. And what do you get? You get greater productivity. Mm-hmm. Greater productivity, and, and you end up with less uh, cost per unit. Less cost per unit means that society can afford more things. It, it's, right? very, it's, it's a very interesting concept that I think a lot of people don't realize that safety can actually equate to higher productivity. Oh, very much so. Very much so. Because at the end of the day, you know, you make it safer, and all of a sudden you don't have that, that hazard. You can say, okay, let's speed up the machine here, right? Mm-hmm. You know, well, how... how how low can you go type of thing, eh? How fast can we go here, eh? All right? You know, and they're forever gaining ground on these things. Because now the speed, the speed, what's going on within the machine is not a big issue because the worker is external to all those hazards. Right, exactly. Right? He's not exposed to the hazards. Yes, there might be only a meter away or something like this, but he has a barricade between himself and the hazards. So, yeah, so, you know, let them produce. Yeah, well, now you see, look at some of the machinery. I mean, the way it flies today compared to, I mean, what I've seen over my lifetime, I, I can't. You know, I, I when I go to these factories now, they look like the factories that I used to see, not as as uh, as, uh, as uh, uh, pictures in the my university books, but as artist concepts. Oh, that's that's a very surreal feeling then for you eh frank it is it is very much so it's like it's like i'm i I, although i'm here now i'm in the future it would almost be like for for my age if star trek the things on star trek were to be real life now yeah they came alive that's where you would be that's that's the way i feel sometimes you know it's uh it's it's astonishing you know, so um, yeah, it's great, great time to see you know these things going, and they'll continue to go. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we and we all go on YouTube. I watch some of these uh, uh, guys uh, manufacturing in some of the third world countries, and that. I mean, you, you got to give those people tremendous credit for their ingenuity. Yes, using the parts that they have 
to, to oh, make something. Oh, my God almighty. It is the struggle that, the, you know, it is a struggle, though, to, you know, the lathe chuck, you know, they got a key so long. You know, they're, they're doing this, you know, I mean, 8, 10, 12, 15 hours a day, barefoot uh, type of thing, eh? And, you know, uh, and, and yet they make some tremendous components with it. Yeah. But it is cheap labor. Yeah. Right? And in, in, in if you like in the developer, we kind of go, well, we go to the expensive labor. But by having labor expensive, then we require machinery to be faster to make up for that cost. For the offset. Yeah. 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 It's, so. it's, it's interesting that the idea about removing hazards, because a lot of people I don't think realize that there's something called the hierarchy of controls and yeah. don't really understand how they how they should be applying that and it the, uh, in the same vein a lot of people don't realize about the risk assessment and how not necessarily how i mean that's part of it but really the when you should be doing the risk assessment frank in yeah. your experience i'm sure for the countless numbers of factories you've been into you're doing the risk assessment at the factory instead of doing the risk assessment when the design came out to start identifying how, what hazards are existing on paper and how can you apply the hierarchy of controls to get rid of those hazards and still make the machine safe and fast so that when we finally get to the real, if we finally get to the plant floor, that we're not going at that point going, okay, everything's done, but wait, uh, let's do one last check and oh crap, let's redo all of this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the risk assessment, obviously the best time to elim eliminate everything, all the hazards, is at the design stage. Not just the hazards, but any pro any production problems, you know, to make all the, is at the design stage. Yeah. That's when you have the components completely open to you and everything else. It gets costlier afterwards, you know, and, and uh, exponentially so. Um, so w difficulty with the, with the risk assessments is, first of all, the concept is, you know, the term risk, Hazard, it's they're kind of all all mixed up, you know. People, you see the word. People will use the word interchangeably. Yes. And and there, it, it, it's a complete different thing. Um, but to do the risk assessment is like getting getting making a, an account, we'll say a financial account, and you're saying, okay, which customer do we owe the most amount of money to? Right? Or which customer, in fact, do we have the most amount of money to that will not supply us with products anymore because now we can't operate? Well, we're going to pay that guy first, right? Yeah. Right? So in this case, it, has, it sets up a hierarchy of lists of what should you tackle first. You should tackle your most, the riskiest uh, situations first and then go down the line. But you say, well, well uh, how do we... Um, but we don't know what the risky situations are unless you do a risk assessment. Well, and people will say, no, no, I, I, I know which one machine. See that machine there? That thing, that thing can kill you. Yes, that's a hazard. <laughs> right? That's not necessarily the risk. Right. You know, and I don't mean to, you know, we're playing, uh, play mathematics here. Uh, what is, what is uh, uh, if you like, um, riskier to society? Um We'll say what three, four thousand figures that we lose every year in Ontario, or a fatality. Yeah. Obviously, obviously, to the person who's dead, that's you know, I say that's that's my life there, right? Yeah. But to the person that lost that one finger, that's the most very important to them. Yeah. 
So, but risk, take, risk, unfortunately, um, forces you to think in these terms. And this is why it's very important to include the operators. Yes, as a stakeholder, yes. Well, we use the term as a bunch of you like of academics, engineers, whatever else, and we do a risk assessment and say, well, this is acceptable risk because it falls below the level of 50. If the operator sitting there says, wait a minute, do you operate this machine? <laughs> Are you telling me that this is acceptable? It's not acceptable to me. I want to go home tonight with all 10 fingers. Yeah. So, you know, the, 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 there's comes the... The, these cultural, social values that are involved with this get to be a very complex uh, uh, type of thing. Yeah, so, you know, so some of these, some improvements are brought out more by, let um, you say, attitudes. Hmm. And this can be, this can be uh, if you like, gender attitudes. They can be um, attitudes from uh, different societies are going to have different attitudes, eh? You know, I was in one company and... Um, so I went up to the worker and I said, do you have any safety issues with this machine? I always like to talk to the worker, you know? And the guy said to me, get away from me, man. He was, he was so grateful. He came to the country. He's got a job. Maybe who knows the first time and maybe who knows. He's bringing some money home. He's, a, he's afraid that this is a, they could lose him his job. I, you know? so, I, I remember hearing stories of Windsor. Uh, during the Great Depression, where there was, I believe, a large uh, Italian settlement, and a lot of uh, workers down in Windsor, there's a lot of um, machine and tool, a lot of automation, yeah. um, CNC, etc. And I remember talking to a few people of Windsor, and they told me stories of how in in the Depression those workers would sever part of their fingers because the workman's compensation was far more than potentially getting laid off or something like that. Whoa. So again, to your earlier statement of no one would ever stick their hand in there until there's an incentive. So for those workers during that era, there was an incentive to physically maim themselves partially um, in order for them to continue to survive. So it's really important for, for us in industry, whether we're, man we're manufacturing those equipment or we own that equipment, to ensure that there's no incentive, whether yeah. that's, um, to your own point, the productivity, whether that's um, a maintenance issue, what, whatever it is, but to remove the incentive to defeat the, the safety and you also said early on as well that it should be seamless, right? Uh, you know, talk about microwaves, that interlock. You never even think about that interlock being there yeah. until it's Absolutely. a problem. Until it's a problem, right? You would never even, because yes. I've had some, I've got some old, I've had some old microwaves, some hand-me-downs in college. And, and I remember a couple of them, they were a little bit problematic about where the door sat and when you could turn turn the button on. But it's some of those things that safety in a workplace needs to be seamless. You should never have an operator or worker in the workplace be able to think about safety because it should operate in the background. A bad safety design is one that gets in the way. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Um, you know, you were talking about the uh, uh, the finger and so on. I can vouch for that because I remember the uh, stories within our community of, uh, you know, I'm of Italian origin. And um, the, it was told in a uh, joke, as a joke, but probably wasn't much of a joke, that um, so-and-so, you know, got $5,000 because he lost a figure or some trouble. And he said that, well, had I known that, it would have cut through them, threw them off. You know, now... You know, it, there's a couple of sides that on the one hand, it obviously, it's ridiculous. On the other hand, if you have time, difficult time, times like the 30s and you need the money, what do you do? You know, unless you've been in a desperate situation, it's hard to identify with those things. Eh? But, but So here you've got two, three, four, five kids, whatever else, and food is pretty scarce. Yeah. What do you do? I mean, we know today that the, the whole issue of the sale of organs. Yeah. Right? That exists today. You know, we can look at it and say, well, these people are ridiculous uh, selling the organs. But we're not in their shoes where we're, we're, they can't eat unless they do that. Yeah. So yeah. these can be very difficult, um, uh, very difficult conversations, very difficult issues in society that, uh, God, God forbid, you know, uh, but nonetheless, that's the reality of life. Yeah, it's it, it really is. And, and that's why the onus is, is on us in the workplace to make sure that we're removing that incentive. We're removing that ability to 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 think of how to use that machinery inappropriately, which is why it's so important when you're doing that risk assessment, hopefully in the development stage of that equipment that you have all those stakeholders there. You have a manager, you have an engineer, you have an operator that uses similar equipment that can give you very good feedback on what the uh, foreseeable uses of that equipment are gonna be. Because although when we design equipment and we say, this is how this is going to be used, people will find alternate ways to use that equipment. And those alternate ways could lead to very, very unsafe practices and very, yeah. very unsafe culture. So it's important that you you take those moments to be able to build a proper safety culture, a proper risk assessment, a proper design around this machinery that you're putting into your factory. Yeah, so, you know, in the, and this is one thing I was uh, quite um, flabbergasted. I thought the European Union did very well when they included the manual the operator's manual is part of the safety control system of the machine. That uh, that obviously pushed people to produce better manuals, mm -hmm. right? And it, and it says to the machine, okay, these are the limits of the machine. You know, if you operate it beyond these, then other hazards come into play. See, so it, it's important to define those things. I, I had a call just yesterday, in fact, a client who pouring liquids into these uh, bags, plastic bags. And um, they had three pre-start reviews done in a particular machine. And I said, why so many? Well, the, the machine keeps getting stuck. And, you know, the, we keep making modifications and we get a pre-start review each time. And so I read the pre-start reviews report. And what I traced it down to, I said to him, tell me something, the bags that you get, if you go back to the manufacturer, your initial purchase order, most likely you're going to find in the manual that it says you have to buy bags that are made in accordance with ISO a certain number. 
if you're purchasing people are going out to whatever country and buying bags at half the price and bragging a bunch of money when they're saving your company, they're actually costing your company money because you lose it in the productivity, if, if not more. Yeah. So why don't you check the, bag, the bags and see if they meet the, 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 limit, the limits set by the machine manufacturer? Yeah. You know, the machine manufacturer said that you have to use minimum three mil, three mil thick plastic. You use two mil thick plastic. Well, they're for more flimsy. They're going to get stuck more. <laughs> so I, it hasn't gotten back yet. We'll see what happens here. I, I always, I always apologize a little bit because through these conversations, I tend to laugh a little bit because uh, the stories that are regaled that I hear when people tell them. From my perspective, again, they seem so crazy. Like like you said earlier, why would you ever, like the car, when you buy a car, do you ever think there's no brakes? No, of course not. There should be brakes. But it's that yeah. kind of, if you were to buy a car and it didn't have brakes you and you were to tell your friend, hey, I bought this brand new car, it didn't have how many brakes, they'd laugh at you because that, that just yeah. seems so crazy. But that's how the evolution of safety has come within our industry that, you know, where we started so long ago compared to where we are now, if we were to do the things the, the way we used to a long time ago, it just seems crazy. It seems ludicrous. I know there was an example um, within our own company. We did a presentation and we talked about the evolution of safety and we tied it back to a fan, a desk fan. And how early fans, the original fan, uh, not the original, but early fans, they had no guards on them. It was just a spinning blade. That's it. And then they thought, oh, we can probably do something so they would encapsulate the back so now there was half a guard so that you couldn't you know get access from the back inadvertently and then someone said well that's kind of silly why would you only guard the back so then they guard the front and 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 that's that's kind of the step evolution process yeah. of safety is you know well we have this we have this hazard well how should we how should we guard it or, or why is it like that well, i don't know maybe there's a better way there is a better way let's put a guard on it Okay, yeah. well, we only did half of the work. You know, is there, can we put a guard on the front? Yes. So those are the kind of steps you need to take when you're doing a, a safety project of what's the best way. You know, obviously, the hope is that you jump right to the, the, the full guarded solution, whether that's a physical guard, whether that's, you know, uh, optoelectronics, whether that's removing um, the, the, the fan blade. Because, I mean, you look at Dyson now, right? They don't have any blades. They, it's a, it's a, it's a bladeless fan. They've completely removed the hazard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's a company that looked at what the problem is and they went, oh, okay, we can fix that. So that's yeah. what the hope is. But the, what people have to realize is that you can't, you can't always make those leaps. A lot of times safety is, is little steps and it's, it's dynamic. You always have to be making the little steps, right? And that's why, again, going back, you need to have those different stakeholders because you see a little step here and another stakeholder sees a little step here. And to your customer who's had all those PSRs done, I bet all those PSRs were similar but a little bit different because you can never get to 100% safe. You can never get to zero hazards, but you Absolutely. can always do a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. And also, if you get, you know, say the exact same machine and you get five engineers, you know, you're going to get five different reports. You know, the, it, because it, 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 it's subjective to each own indiv engineer's individual experience. Mm -hmm. 
So, but on the the example of the fan that that you brought up, and that don't forget, at one time there was the attitude too that, well, that's okay if they if they um, uh, get hurt once, they'll remember and they'll never do that again, right? That was almost a training type of thing, yeah. Um, unfortunately, that was uh, <laughs> the thinking at the time. And you know, look at press operators. Yeah. You weren't a real press operators if you had all ten fingers. Oh. Right. I mean, you know, okay, now, okay, uh, how many, you got seven? Okay, you're, you can join the club now, you know. But if you got 10, like, okay, you got a long, you're still green, eh? That that was a mark of a, of a good operator. Uh, I, 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 know it's, I know what that's like because I had that social pressure when I first started my career in sales and process instrumentation. And my mentor at the time said, okay, you need PPE. You need to go get out, uh, you need to go get, um, um, a flame retardant suit, which he ended up supplying me, and you need to go get safety shoes. And he said, when you go buy your brand new safety shoes, go run them against the concrete and scuff them up. Yeah, yeah. Because because if I didn't, and I walked into these places as you know the new manager of that area, the new territory rep, the new technical rep, those people looked at your shoes and went, oh, okay, I mean, the guy still got the sticker on the shoes. Like, how much could this guy know? Right? I mean, right. for, the, for the press guys, all oh, this guy's only got seven fingers. You know, how much learning experience did, did, did or he's got 10 fingers, excuse me. How much learning experience mm -hmm. does this guy know? Who's this yeah. guy to tell me what's safe? He hasn't lived through what I've lived through. That's right. But but the reality is, you know, I haven't lived what you've lived, lived through, but I've learned from what, what's happened to you. <laughs> That's what you should be doing. It's not repeat the, the same mistakes, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but, but, you know, so, and I remember this, uh, I worked in uh, a little bit with uh, the structural steel industry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you go up on those, those cranes, you know, they had the ball yep. on them there. Well, you know, I would see these guys, they get grab the wire rope, get on the ball, pull them up and everything else. So I want to be like the big boys and I'm there. And, of course, I'm scared to sit there. I'm on this ball and you're swinging back and forth. Eh? Then the crane, the crane operator just lowers that ball pretty quick and, you know, about two feet off the ground, he puts the brakes on, your stomach goes up to, you know, but that seemed to be, well, we're, that's part of your initiation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I had, a, I, I, I've been very fortunate, even though I grew up, uh, basically the 60 was a big, uh, you know, drugs, uh, marijuana, all this business. I've never touched a cigarette to this day or marijuana, but in any case, I remember actually in about 16, 17, I was with my father. Somebody came over to visit. They offered my father a cigarette. And they offered me a cigarette. And I said to him, uh, no, thanks, I don't smoke. Well, what kind of a man are you? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and look at, at the time there, well, okay, was this public about the cancer and that? But the, the cigarette manufacturing companies that know about it. Yeah. And, you know, we still have uh, issues to this day. Not that long ago, somebody, one of the major, uh, major uh, companies, I think they were, um, they went to court and everything else. They had to pay out $250 million for baby powder. Oh. And they knew that there was asbestos in the baby powder. Oh. You know? Uh, sometimes you got to say, when, when will we ever learn type of thing? You know, it, it might be that you can't get rid of that product, but at least put it on the label. Yeah. Let the, let the customer decide, you know. An informed choice. Around the label, that's um, so. I, I am I am curious because 
of how long you've been involved in industrial safety, has it has it had an effect on your personal mindset? You know, how you treat day to day activities. Do you, you know, when when you're going around, do you assess risk? Do you assess hazards just in in your in your in your normal life now, not in your industrial life? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, being at the age that I am now and looking back at some of the, uh, you know, rather terrible accidents that had happened when I was working the summer and, and when I started working full time into the structural ceiling, which is heavy industry. You know, I think back and I think of, uh, you know, two or three guys that I remember very well. We were friends and the life had been ruined. Hmm. You know, here I am having lived a reasonably comfortable life at, you know, the uh, the uh, uh, upper years I'm in, I'm today, those guys never had that chance. They were 19, 20, 21 years old. Mm. You know, I didn't appreciate the time, but I look back now. They missed out on the 60, 70 years. You know, the life has been compromised. Mm-hmm. You know, and how does that affect them? Okay, obviously it affects them physically. What about socially, mentally? You know, we we can never put a price on on those things. So it it makes you think, yeah, you got to be able to do something something better, you know. I, um, I teach a little bit at one of the college. In fact, I do the Millwright program. And, um, uh, it, but and, you know, the first thing we start out with is the safety and that. And they don't think in those terms. And I've gone on, uh, on YouTube and, uh, you know, I brought up some videos. And they're shocked at how just a drill press can just turn on and crush a guy. Yeah. What I found very ironical on that is uh, on this particular one, I, I looked for lathe operation uh, accidents, and they said to sign in that you're over 18. Okay. Now, I thought to myself, isn't this ironical? I can go into, I can go into a, a, a porn site and they won't ask me anything. <laughs> but, but here I am wanting to learn some safety and I got you have to verify that you're 18. 18, you know, <laughs> to be to learn about safety. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's a lot of uh, kids, and I wish there would be more that are operating a lathe or something like that. You know, be a home hobby or a little shop or something like that. You know. So uh, yeah, it, it's uh, yeah that that's, and you know, as I get older, of course, I I think back with those guys. That's um, that really sticks with me. You know. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's- knowing. Knowing now that that so those things were in today's terms they were completely preventable, and and you know quite truthfully we thought that the place that we were at I think in accordance with the time we were pretty good with the safety. Hmm. You know there wasn't really a, a culture the 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 uh, top man took real firsthand interest in it, and maybe that's that's what spurred a little bit my interest right from the beginning. So in a certain way I've been in it all my life either consciously or subconsciously. Um, but it was always at the forefront. So we thought we were pretty good. And here we had these uh, two, three young kids um, uh, pretty badly hurt, you know? And it's those kind of testimonials that I think help people understand the gravity of safety, right? This isn't just a word that's thrown around. It's not just plastered on a placard all around the factory. Um, yeah. it, it, it is really something that needs to be taken serious uh, every day of your life when you are exposed to those hazards um you, you mentioned it earlier and it, it made me think about it and i'm just remembering it now with the 
uh, microwave. It doesn't say turn off the radiation before you go in. But how many times have we been in factories that it says don't come in here while the machine is in operation? Well, how is that yeah. a fair sign? Why, why does that sign even exist? Couldn't we have done a better job so that the hazard, whatever it is, either doesn't exist or that we have removed access? Yeah. Well, signage is, uh, is uh, cheap and dirty. eh? So I open up a company and I want to have this place completely safe. My, my easy thing is I put out a policy, don't get hurt or I'll kill you. Now, that's okay. But signage does nothing. And I, uh, and I would challenge anybody that's going to listen to this broadcast. Which one of you has not gone up to a door and pushed and pushed and pushed on it and it won't open and you perhaps curse, who the hell knows, and it still won't open, then magically you read the sign and it says, pull to open. Yeah. We've all been there. Yeah. You know? And, and in fact, I know within the European Union, if you look at a European machinery, this day, there's hardly any labels on it. They say, you know what, train your workers. Hmm. The labels don't, don't, you know, first of all, people don't read them. Secondly, they have to be maintained, which is often a big issue. But why not just train the worker on it? Yeah. You know, we 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 would be a lot further ahead if we spent more time training um, uh, workers, not only in the safety aspect of it, but in the productivity aspect of it. Get the most out of the machine yeah. that you can. You know, produce to the maximum. I took over a particular operation one time and it produced wire mesh. And um, the guy that was there before me... Anyway, I read the manual of the machine, and so we set this machine up to do two-by-two two mesh. And the guy that was running the plant before he had retired, he comes in, and he sees the machine doing two-by-two. Two. He said, well, Frank, how did you get the machine to do that? I said, well, it's written right in the manual. That's what it does. Yeah, but the manual is full of crap. Well, that was his attitude, eh? Yeah. My attitude was more, look, at the manufacturer has declared that this machine can do this. If it doesn't, I'm going to go back to the manufacturer. Yeah. Right, those are the design parameters that you sold me. I paid you X, you know, X hundred thousand dollars to be able to perform to those. If it doesn't, I want my money back. Yeah, you know. So, and very often, you, you, you look at. I defy anybody. Go, go into your plant right now. How many of the machines are equipped with, with the operator's manual? Yeah. You know, in the construction industry, it is illegal not to have the operator's manual in this in, in the cab. And the 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 uh, the manufacturers like Caterpillar and and uh, Hyundai and other ones and so on, they put a pouch in the back there so that the manual can be there. Doesn't it make sense that if I'm the operator, I should have the manual to this machine? Yeah, I it, might want to look something up. It's be it, it from a safety standpoint or a productivity standpoint. It, that's that's a very very interesting point because I, I didn't realize this, but hearing you talk about it, uh, I think about my time working in factory and I, I wonder i speculate i theorize here that the places that have difficulties with safety and difficulties with safety culture are those the companies that want to keep the information about how to operate that machine away from the operators because i just want you to do a and b and that's it because if you were to read how to actually use this machine, that knowledge may 
spur that operator, that worker, to start thinking of ingenuitive ways to work with that machine, which may start opening up and revealing chinks in the armor of of how that that safety has surrounded that machine. Yeah, you know, and, and maybe that operator is going to make that machine, you know, uh, whistle a little better. <laughs> you know, you use it to its full potential. Yeah, use it to the potential that you paid for. You know, you were promised 100 units an hour, and here you are producing 25. You know, based on your return on investment, that doesn't seem to be like a very, uh, uh, very good proposition there, eh? Yeah. And all why, all why perhaps, because you didn't read, uh, you know, sentence number three on page 22. <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 it's sad. Um, but... You know, yeah, and you can argue, say, well, they, you know, I, I've heard operators say this, and I've heard supervisors say this. They don't pay me to read; they just pay me to do. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that that's a different kind of mindset to to get. To it's a complete different mindset. Complete yeah, different that's... mindset. So, so this is why, just going back, I was very happy to see that the the uh, within the um, uh, European Machinery Directive uh, uh, forty two EC. Uh, and it may have been in the one before, that the manual becomes part and parcel of the machine. It's not distinguishable from the machine. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, it's, it's simply as part of it. And, uh, you know, in today's, of course, and we should be concerned with the environment. Don't forget, they, those machines, they, they have to have a complete life cycle thing. And they have to identify also how to dispose of the machine. Yep. All machinery has certain uh, chemicals in them, whatever else. And they will take the how to dispose of them. Now, it might be that you don't care. You just throw it in the junkyard, whatever else. But that's a decision you make. But if you want the information, at least it's there for you to consider. And you say, well, will this do any damage to the environment? And maybe I should be a little bit more conscious on, of, uh, of this thing here. Maybe we'll dispose of it in the proper way. You know, we all get caught in these dilemmas, eh? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You know, we're all environmentally... Um, Conscious until it, it hits our pocketbook type of thing, eh? <laughs> but but why why can't we design machinery to go from cradle to grave and recycle everything back into society? I mean that that would be ideal. That's that's something that uh, well I I've, I've pitched the idea of that to to uh, well someone I've pitched the idea to to our own company, especially right now when we have microcontroller issues for components. I said, well, can we create a program where we uh, will issue a credit to anyone who returns uh, old or broken equipment that has a microcontroller that we can yeah. harvest out of it uh, yeah. to, to solve that kind of a problem? But it is yeah. it, it is definitely part of, of machinery that people really don't realize that that whole 20-year life cycle also includes decommissioning. People seem to have this idea a lot of the times that you buy a piece of equipment and it's supposed to last forever. And I think part of that comes from the golden era of the, you know, the 40s, 50s, and 60s, yeah. where they built this equipment, these monstrous over-engineered equipment, and they're still being used today in 2022. So people still believe that I can buy an equipment now, piece of machinery, automation now, and it can last 60, 70 years. Yeah, that's right. And that those machines were built, but however, when you look at it, the productivity of those machines oh, way down. is nothing compared to so that if you're going to keep on operating with those machines, as as those things are a work of art. Yes. You know, the casting's tremendous. 
But at the same time, when your competitor is producing a thousand pieces an hour and you're producing 150, you're not going to be in business long. Yeah. You know, so you, you, you have to move forward. And it, you know, not knocking the people that did them before. They did them, the idea, they, they did not foresee the productivity gains that happened within the, the you know, hey, I, I do not see, I still don't believe the gains made in the last 20 years. <laughs> I find I'm in a miraculous uh, time. The rate of, and the rate of change is increasing every, uh, every year. You know, so what is was this uh, good today machine? So today I would think a machine, uh, if you look at a, a, a life cycle of perhaps five years, maybe some of the much more expensive machines, you know, when you look at the five, 10, 20 million dollar machines, you could be looking at longer. But in general, uh, I think a five year lifetime, maybe 10 years is starting to push it. Mm-hmm. Not, be, not necessarily because the machine is going to be worn out, but it's outdated by the technology. Yes. Yeah, you know? you're being outpaced by what's available. That's, yeah, yeah. that's definitely fair. Well, Frank, I yeah. really appreciate having the opportunity to, to talk to you and, and being able to share just a, a fraction of, of your stories. Uh, is there anything else that you want to share that you have going on uh, that people can, can reach you at or, or interact with you? Do you have uh, some things going on? Oh, no, no, nothing uh, particularly, but, you know, I'm, uh, you, you know, pre-start review training, anybody interested in that? Any of you have a questions, by all means, you know, there's no charge. Give me a phone call. I would be more happy to try to address any issue uh, at any time or any other question in uh, health and safety. If, I, it's not, if it's not my field of expertise, I will let you know. If I can provide you with some direction, I will uh, do so. And if I can answer the question directly, I will do so. Always pointing out the regulation that you got to be looking at because you're not interested in my opinion. <laughs> I'm not interested in my opinion. <laughs> what you're interested in is, is in what the uh, the government says. And if you don't like what the government says, I'm sorry, but you got to go talk to Mr. Ford, uh, <laughs> and not, and not myself. You know. So. Well, you're you're so humble, Frank. You're also teaching at Humber College, so there yeah. is another avenue to get some teachings from Frank Tomei. Uh, again, I really appreciate uh, being here. You have been an inspiration for me throughout my own career, uh, and I'll continue to, to reach out to you and, and work with you. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Matt, and you take good care. That was Frank Tomei, a professional engineer of Ontario. If you'd like to reach out to Frank, you can connect with him via email at ftomei at yahoo.com. That's F-T-O-M-E-I at yahoo.com. You can also call Frank directly at 905-856-0584. Thank you everyone for listening and trying to get this out of safety. If you'd like to be a guest on our show, please contact me at theindustrialsword at gmail.com. Music for this episode was provided by Sleep or lack thereof.